Hello, and welcome to a brief audio introduction to a guided meditations. So I have two guided meditations, and I need a little background for uh, the meditations to make sense. They should be listened to in order, actually, uh, performed one after the other. They don't have to be done on the same day. In fact, I'd encourage that somebody does the first meditation once and, uh, you know, lets a day or two pass and then do the next one. The second one is a meditation that can be done often. The first meditation is meant to be a one-time kind of event that is, unless somebody finds it interesting enough and feels that they could repeat it, but it's not really meant to be a repetitive meditation. It's meant to be more of a thinking project, um, the kind of guided experiential uh, practice that helps one open their mind. So as a college professor, it's one of the jobs I do. And what I often try to get my students to do and then I use this in workshops as well outside the university. But whether it's my students or uh, people who come to certain workshops, what I try to get people to do is to uh, step outside the assumptions of our culture. That part of what I do is point out that our mindset, the way we think about the world, is quite, is, um, quite limited. Is, is, is too narrow, is too small. And that there was an ancient practice, an ancient way of looking at the world that had a wider sense of rationality, thinking and knowing. And that ancient way of looking at the world, the one that was in place in the West until at least the 1400s, uh, is, the, is the one that we probably should learn to recover and we slowly are recovering with modern science brain science etc we are starting to pull back at some of the assumptions about what we think we know so rather than making this into a very deep philosophical i wanted to have a more experiential experience so rather than a philosophical one an experiential one an experiment so to speak so the first uh, experiment is, or the first guided meditation, is intended to be more storytelling. It refers back to those ancient times when myth, mythology, storytelling, uh, sitting around a campfire in the ancient ways and, and in the ancient times was the way that we would gather information. And that what mythology is attempting to do, what stories attempt to do, is not give us facts about the world, not give us a formula or information about the world in a factual way. But what it's supposed to do is waken up our senses, have us notice, have us pay attention, and bring us into our bodies, into our, and not just into our abstract thinking mind. And so this first one is meant to be that. So you will hear the beginning. There will be a little bit of kind of, kind of ethereal music 
and um, some nature sounds to move us and get us in the path and moving in the direction of we are going somewhere on a trip. The assumption I want people to have when they're doing this first uh, meditation experiment is to imagine that they came to me and said, hey, I'd like some wisdom. And you can imagine that in any detailed way you want. Oftentimes in classes, classes or workshops, I would break that down and I would spend a long time in that. I would really flesh it out almost like storytelling. But to keep this brief, just imagine that you came to me, that you heard that I had access to some secret wisdom. And you would really like to have some access to that wisdom to find happiness in life, authenticity, purpose, a deep connection with who you are and what the world is and how you can be the best version of yourself. And you're looking for that wisdom. And you heard that I had connections. So you come to me and you say, I, I hear you have wisdom. And I say, well, it's not me so much is I know a group of people who live off in natural settings. They actually um, wander quite often and it's hard to find them. They're nomadic. They do not stay in one place. And oftentimes because I've been doing this research for a long time and I've been hunting them down, I hear from word of mouth, I find people on the internet and other places by word of mouth that I find out people have seen them. And I've been in touch with them and they trust me. They know that I will not disturb their life and I will not bother them too often. And they understand and appreciate that we're on the same page. So they trust me. And so every now and then I'll reach out and try to find where they are. And they will respond. It takes a long time, usually, at their whim. Sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. But they respond, and they usually send me, it used to be by handwritten map, but lately they've been using the internet. They can send me a PDF or something, some scanned drawing, and it gets sent in an email. And it's pretty untraceable, so I can never really find exactly where it's coming from. But they'll give me a map and they'll tell me where to go. And so we imagine that they've, these special people, these, these people who are on some level quite wise, or I even kind of think of them as wholly special, uh, people who have chosen to live in a very different way and whose opinions I respect deeply because I've tested out the knowledge they've given me and it's always done nothing but serve me. So we imagine that they gave us a map and so you came with me and I'm going to bring you there. And I'm not going to tell you because uh, I don't want to ruin their trust. I'm only going to bring you. And so you come to me and we're going to go, and it actually turns out that right now they're kind of uh, up north. They're up north, kind of 
you know, if you if you want to imagine something, you could imagine the Pacific Northwest, maybe Canada, maybe Maine, somewhere like that. But uh, not too far away from here, but it's not in our area. And we're gonna, you're going to hear us going off, and I'm going to give you instructions. And then what ends up happening is on the map. They have told me how to get there. We're going to probably have to go by water, it sounds like. Um, so we'll probably have to get in a boat. And uh, after we get there, we're going to get out of the boat and we're going to walk the trail. There's a trail into the woods because, as I told you, they live in the woods. And I have to find them. So you'll follow me into the woods. And once there... Um, We'll sit with them and around their sacred space. Oftentimes, their sacred space is marked off with rocks or a fire or something. So once we'll know when we get there. And then once we get there, um, we will listen to them. But before we listen to them and before we do the work with the holy people, oftentimes... They want me to tell a story that opens us up. And so this is an ancient story. A story, a version of a story has been told like this in almost every culture around the world. Some version of this. And it's quite popular in Asian and African cultures. Like I said, in most cultures, there's a, a version of this story. And we're going to talk about it. And you're going to hear the story, and I just like to hear the story and pay attention, and then just rest and see if it can open your mind to kind of a new way of being present to the world. So that's the that's the first one. The second meditation is uh, going to be very similar in the sense that we're going to go back to the same place. So. The whole point of the first exercise is to for us to find that sacred place where those wise people are and kind of create in our mind's eye a sacred space. And if you can imagine, to the best of your ability, using the sounds of nature and, and, every, and all the kind of audio cues that you get from the story and everything else, if you can imagine what it's like and see it in your mind's eye and make it as real as possible. Um, and really listen. The, oftentimes these are best done with headphones, earbuds, some sense, and not disturbed. You know, have your phone set on do not disturb. Have Don't have text messages. Don't have anything else going on. Have no one talking to you. Don't be in the same room as anybody else. Really try to create a sacred space that when you do this, quiet, alone, relaxed, comfortable. Even if you want to light a candle or light a fire in the fireplace or do something like that, that would really help set the mood, get your body in a relaxed position, and then you can do, you know, listen. So I would suggest you do that. It will, it will help with the experience. And so then the second one, you'll go back to the same space, the same sacred space. You'll hear similar things that will cue you in that you're in the same place, um, the same intro and etc. And you'll get to the same place. Uh, 
But the second one is a visualization practice. Now this visualization practice is based on uh, Tibetan Buddhist practice and mixed also with uh, Jesuit uh, Ignatian contemplation. So Ignatian imagination from St. Ignatius of Loyola, Roman Catholic uh, Jesuit priest who taught spiritual exercises using the imagination. So it's a combination of those two. It's a visualization practice using your imagination to, again, open your mind and your heart to something that's beyond rational thinking. It's not that it's irrational. It's not that it's illogical. It's something broader and beyond. It gets us into our bodies. It gets us to feel the world and sense the world and to be open to the world in a different way. Um, if I was going to use modern brain science, I would suggest that what it's trying to do is it's tapping into the kind of consciousness and awareness that is often characterized by right hemisphere, a more globalized, embodied, uh, picture-oriented, wordless, quiet um, orientation to the world that allows us to see the world in 360 degrees, full color, fully embodied, and not broken up into thinking abstraction and logic and linear rationality. So to get a little philosophical and brain science there for a moment. So this is not illogical at all, but opening up our hearts and minds to a deeper level. And so what we're required to do in order to do the first one uh, to do the second meditation that you can do as many times as you want, and I would suggest to do it as often as you'd like, um, is to have a visualization of what I call benefactors. Now, I'm using language that I borrowed from a few former teachers of mine in the Tibetan tradition where they use the word benefactors. You can use Christian language or any other religious language that you want and to talk about they're basically special people, people who have blessed us, people who have offered their attention, their love, their concern. What is a benefactor? Well, a benefactor is somebody who has shown unconditional love to us. And that's very hard for us as humans because we don't often think of somebody who has done that because most people we know, relationships are complicated. There's not a lot of unconditional love out there. There's a lot of conditional love. There's a lot of brokenness and bad relationships. But what I mean by this unconditional love is that intuitive gut knowing that we know that we've experienced. And so I often explain to people, if you could imagine back when you were as young as you can remember, imagine when you were a child and somebody in your life that whenever they showed up to your house or you bumped into them, every time you saw them, you lit up inside with joy because you loved being in their presence. And why I say that is because that is the most pure form of when you were a kid, where if you liked being in the presence of people, it's because you were in the presence of someone who gave you attention and love in a way that you liked, that you enjoyed, that you felt respected. So whether it's a favorite aunt or uncle, if it was your kindergarten teacher, your coach, 
um, you know, it could even be a pet, your favorite pet. But as somebody who, when you think of as a child, when you see their face in your mind's eye, you just break into a smile. You remember crazy aunt so-and-so or grandma so-and-so or whatever. And you just felt completely in love. Every time you think of their memory, you think of their face, you feel this warm inside of you and you want to smile. You're just so happy. So somebody like that, if you can recall that and then recall that feeling, what does that feel like? And to kind of try to feel that in your body. And so if you can recall that person or that pet, or it could be more than one person, but you know, if you recall those people that made that, you feel like that. And then the connection here is to realize that that feeling is just complete and utter love, peace, acceptance, joy. And that is the kind of feeling that the spiritual realm is pointing to. So if you're a Buddhist, um, loving kindness and mercy and compassion is that feeling. If you're a Christian, this is the word, what we mean by the word God, is that feeling. Um, Jews, Christians, Muslims are talking about that feeling. Um, if you're Hindu, it's, that's bhakti, that's the devotion to the, to the guru or to the, you know, to the god or goddess that you pray to, um, the true love that you feel and they feel for you. So that you're connecting at a deep embodied level emotionally and physically with that and binding with that. And so that helps because now you've felt it. It's not an abstraction. See, that's the thing is I don't want you to think about people you love. I want you to actually recall the feeling, remember what it feels like and rest in that. And if you can do that, then you can follow the, the rest of the instructions because then from there, those are your own personal benefactors, whether it's a pet or somebody in your life, a coach, a teacher, a relative, whoever. But then you could have spiritual benefactors, could be if you are of a religious mindset. If you're Christian, you can think of Jesus. Or, you know, if you're, if you're Roman Catholic, you can think of Mary or the saints. Um, if you're uh, Jewish, you could think of, you know, God, you know, Jehovah. If you're, you know, Muslim, it could be Allah, if you're a Hindu or etc. So you can think of, if you're the, a Buddhist, you could think of the Buddha, you could think of saints or bodhisattvas um, that, that you feel connected to or you're involved with. Um, so those are your spiritual benefactors, saints and holy people through the ages. And you can call those people to mind. And those that's the same feeling that you felt with your personal benefactor. It's the same love. It's the same joy. It's the same loving kindness. It's the same mercy and compassion flowing. And so then the visualizing of the benefactor as best you can, as if it's like you could touch them in your mind's eye, if you could see them, make them as real as possible and recall the feeling. Then if you can do that, you can follow those exercises. Both exercises are about 11 or 12 minutes long. They're short. They're intended to be short. 
They're meant to teach you how to do it. Once you know how to do it, you can do the exact same visualization and extend it and make it longer. As I said, you could do the first exercise, the first meditation as many times as you want, but it's real. the first one is really meant to open up the sacred space, help you start that practice of finding a holy place and asking the question of what's the meaning of life, what's the purpose, and to actually feel in your body the questions I ask. After I tell the story, I'll start asking some guided questions to help you open up and let your mind rest and open and feel the mystery. And so that's the whole point. And to rest in that. And I'm not so sure that a lot of people would want to do that exercise over and over again, but the second meditation, people might want to do over and over again. And you can do it and extend it and make it a long um, meditation and not just 10 or 11 minutes. Hope that helps. Peace. Thank you for participating in this episode of Methods. For more information, visit us at methodspodcast.com or on social media at Methods Podcast. If you'd like to support what we're doing, you can donate to us on patreon.com slash methods. Until next time.